Now, that doesn't mean that you're not... See, the scripture says we must be perfected in love. That's encouraging. Because I used to think, well, if I'm not like this, I must not be loving at all. No, you may have aspects of love, but you may need to work on one. You see? This is per what I'm going to describe to you in the end is perfect love. This perfect love is what we're striving for. But you have to be perfected in love, the scripture says. Watch this. It's not irritable or resentful because it keeps no record of wrong. <laughs> mm -hmm. Sure doesn't. <laughs> it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Okay. Does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. This is powerful stuff right here. When everybody's telling dirty jokes, do you laugh? You know? Think about that for a minute. I, I, I get tempted with it, you know? But love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Think about how many violent movies we watch. There was this one movie called, uh, I'll, just, I'll just say it just because it's the name of the movie, but it's called Inglorious Bastards, okay? And I watched that movie. And, you know, I had this inner turmoil, inner turmoil on the inside of me where I thought it was funny, but I couldn't believe that I thought it was funny. Have you ever heard people when you make a joke and they're like, uh, oh, that's just wrong, but everybody's laughing? That's the problem. This is, a, uh, this is a, an adulterated generation that we would rejoice in violence. We would rejoice in wrongdoing. We would rejoice in sexual immorality. You see? Oh, this is... I watched that movie a long time ago. I wouldn't watch it now. I just, I'm so convicted about this. We were watching this one truth, uh, this one uh, mo uh, movie called The Ugly Truth. And I couldn't finish it. Started watching it and was just talking all kinds of nasty stuff. And it's a comedy. And I'm thinking, I cannot rejoice in this evil, you know? And I don't want to tempt myself and get myself numb to it to where I am laughing about it. You see? Oh, that's hard, you know? And so um, what happens is we desensitize ourselves. We start watching movies and we start filling ourselves up the world and we desensitize ourselves to it and we start laughing. Remember earlier I talked to you about how I believe that the, the devil wants to beat you up and beat you into submission to be conformed to the world? So what happens? We get around our friends and they're all laughing. So we feel like, well, I need to laugh too. When originally we wouldn't have laughed about that, you know? If it was just me and God, I wouldn't have been laughing. But because I took God out and I was with them instead. You know, so I remember being in high school um, and all the youth group would go out to their friend's house and watch these comedies. And I, I would just look at the cover and I knew it was wrong. Just looking at the cover, I thought, this is evil stuff. We're all going to sit around here and laugh about evil. And we call ourselves Christians. And I just, I couldn't do it. I had to leave. I couldn't hang out with my friends. That's why I didn't have no friends. But it's like, man, Zach, you don't know friends. Well, it's because none of these friends are... I can't be friends with the world. You know? I'm not saying I don't love the world. I don't love the people in the world. You know? But I can't love the world for myself, for my gain. You know? And so it's always separated me from everybody because they would all be telling stuff I just couldn't laugh about. You know? If you talk to me, we're going to be talking about family and Jesus. That's pretty much what we're going to talk about. Amen. I don't talk about stupid crap. You know? Why? Because Jesus says every careless word will be judged. So to me, every word that comes in my mouth needs to be for life. Yeah. 
it's hard. It's hard because why why would people get so offended when I say that? Because they love the world. Literally. I remember the first time I started um, being convicted about watching so much TV. I thought, I gotta, I gotta give that up to serve God. I was so offended. You know? You know what I mean? And it wasn't even that anybody was saying it to me. I had a personal conviction. You know? And I might have heard it somewhere, or I might have read it in the Bible where it was convicting me somewhere about being idle with my time. You know? So there came a point where I was just like, I, man, I, if I can't do the right thing with this, then why is the point even doing it? It's hard. Because entertainment is self-worship. And we don't want to stop worshiping ourselves. And I would be a TV, I was a TV addict. If I was an addict of anything like that, I, I couldn't stop watching TV. i come home, plug in the TV. If the TV was on, I'd lock to the door. You know, zombie apocalypse, you know. In my own living room. Staring at the TV. Anybody home? No. You know? That's true. It's true. Look at your kids. Look at your kids. What are we teaching our kids? Hey, you're a bother. Go in there and watch TV. Yeah. All they want is a relationship. Mm. (coughs) Holy Spirit. (laughs) You know? Go in the other room. All they want is intimacy. You know, yeah, they might be a nuisance, but how much of a nuisance do you think you are to the to the father? <laughs> how many people had kids because oh yeah, this will be real convenient. <laughs> Take your responsibility, part six. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh, we don't get into that, right? I mean, people, seriously, they try to avoid having kids for real selfish reasons. Man, you're going to get me started on that. <gasps> Stop it, Zach. Put it down. Put it down. Not yet. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. Ah! No, you got me. <laughs> you got me. Rejoices in the truth. We're going to get to the scripture. And I'm not going to talk about my feelings towards trying not to have kids. <sighs> How selfish. I can't stop it. How selfish, man. How selfish can we be? You know that... Check this out for a minute. Let me see if I can uh, find this. I have uh, this... I told you I was going to go through some statistics. I'm not going to go through all of them. I'm just going to go through uh, the abortion ones. On average, women give at least three reasons for choosing abortion. 75% say that having a baby would interfere with work, school, or other responsibilities. 75% they say they cannot afford a child. Well, that's because of a broken home. Because if mom and dad were still together and you weren't just having sex for fun. But listen, sex is for marriage. Sex is for having kids. That's what sex is for. I mean, I don't see how people miss that. I mean, you literally have to pluck your eyes out not to see that. Having sex is for having children. If you're not ready to have children, do not have sex. If you do not have a family structure between a man and a woman, then it creates marriage, husband and wife, that can sustain and give a child what they need, do not have sex. 50% of these abortions say 
They do not want to be a single parent or having problems with their husband or partner. Wow. 12% of women included a physical problem with their health health among reasons for having an abortion. And a whopping 1%. The number one reason that they give for keeping abortions is the number one stupidest, lowest, I'm sorry, it's the lowest reason. It's not a stupid. This is not. First of all, if this has ever happened to anybody, then it's horrible. Um, you know, if we really want to have justice, we ought to just, you know, probably kill these people, you know, if you want justice. Why kill a baby for what the father did? Yeah. If, if the man raped the woman, the man should die for his sin, not the baby. Absolutely. You see what I'm saying? If anyone is supposed to die in that scenario, the man is supposed to die, not the baby. 1%, only 1%, only 1%, 1% of your 58 million babies that have been killed. 1%. Freaking percent. Say it's because of rape. This is all since 1973. 58 Million babies have been aborted in the U.S. It makes me sick to my stomach. We want... This is not love. This is not love. You want to talk about the lowest of the low. You know? Talk about getting rid of... I'm not trying to beat up anybody. Listen, there's a lot of people that have had an abortion and they feel bad about it, you know? You know? So I'm not trying to, to beat up those people. Um... The scripture says that there's mercy and, and grace for those who repent, you know. But how do we get to this this place? How did we get to this place? We got here with simple things like, I don't want to wash dishes. You know, laziness. People who don't want to take responsibility for their actions. We began with not wanting to take responsibility because we don't want to love. We want to love ourselves. Come on in. We're still right here. Still teaching. Yeah, come on. Sit down. We're recording everything. So we'll... Oh, man. So we're talking about um, how only a whopping 1% of all abortions were done by because of rape and how okay. how awful this is. Yeah. But And how we're talking about uh, love and how uh, love is patient, kind, it doesn't envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude, it doesn't insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, it doesn't re- in it, but it rejoices in the truth. And then we got on to abortion for whatever reason. Uh, so my point is, you know, we've we've had this this problem where the seventy five percent of all the reasons for fifty eight million babies dying in the womb is because they think it would interfere with work, school, or other responsibilities, and they say they can't afford a child. So if we were operating in love, first of all, we wouldn't be having sex. Outside marriage, because that's not love. Yeah. Having sex outside of marriage is not love. It's selfishness. Okay? Sex inside of marriage, if we understood that sex was designed and it's a no-brainer, you have to literally be like intentionally blinding yourself um, and lying to yourself to believe that sex isn't for making babies. You know? And so people want to do this thing with no consequence. Mm-hmm. And it's even awful that I have to say that a baby is a consequence. You know what I mean? Consequence isn't necessarily an evil thing. But in their eyes, it's evil. Think about that. 
well, I don't want to have a baby. It's evil. They, what we've literally done is conditioned our brains to believe that having a baby is evil. Why? Because since 1960, we've been doing pills and contraceptives and condoms and all this stuff so that we can have fun with no consequences. Right? So we've trained ourselves for 40 years saying that a baby is a problem. We've literally ingrained it in our minds. A baby is a problem. A baby is a problem. A baby is, and a baby is not a problem. A baby is a blessing, but it is a curse to someone if it's all taken out of context. Just like fire is a blessing until you take it out of the fireplace and stick it on your living room couch. You know, a baby without marriage is detrimental. It's damaging. It's hurtful. It's, it shouldn't be. That's why it's so confusing. That's why people don't don't know what to do. They don't know what to say when they see a, a woman coming pregnant that doesn't have a husband. They don't know what to say. Uh, I'm so happy for you. Right? You want to... I Every time I see a woman is pregnant, I don't care if she's married or not, I was, man, I'm so... Congratulations. Why? Because the baby's good. The problem is, in their brain, they're not thinking that. They're thinking, oh my word, my life is going to completely flip upside down. In their mind, it's their... It's a bad thing, you know what I mean? And then and then they get all mixed up in their emotions because they're like, "Why do I feel this way about my child?" Right? It's just because you took it out of context. You see, it should never have been that way. If you were married and you had a husband and y'all were together, I'm not saying that there isn't other extenuating situations where a husband left the woman. Right? That's that's happened. I mean, you can't. I can't. What I'm telling you isn't going to cover all bases. I'm just talking to you about the confusion that ensues. Whenever we have selfish thinking, when we are living for ourselves, when we're having sex for ourselves and for fun, when it can give me instead of what it's designed for. Sex is designed for intimacy, to come together with my spouse. And in that intimacy, life is birthed, you know? And if I truly loved my husband and and my wife, the two were loving each other the way God wants them to love each other, they would be prepared for a baby. You're never, listen, if you are waiting till you're ready to have kids, you will never be ready to have kids until you have this. I don't care how much money you have. If you don't have this, you're not ready. And you might not have any money. But if you have this, you're ready. Because you'll do whatever it takes. If I don't have enough money to have kids, people think I'm crazy because I got four kids. How, you going to have any more kids, Zach? Yeah, I'm going to have more. Well, you're nuts. I don't know how you do it. Because I love. I just want to love. I don't, I'm not... Love will cause me to do whatever it takes to take care of my kids. You see? Kids to me aren't a nuisance. Kids to me aren't in the way. Kids to me are a vehicle to flip the world upside down. (laughs) Because if I can raise my kids up in the way of the Lord, when I die, they're going to keep it going. My work will not die with me. My work will go on through my children. You know? See, that's the thing, like, we have to realize it's much bigger than us. If we're ever living for ourselves, then it's a problem. So, um, one last thing, and we'll close out. Um, I totally got off. It was not part of the plan to talk about abortion, but I needed to. So, check this out. If we got this, oh, wait, where's the last part here? It's not irritable. Okay, this is awesome. It is not rejoicing in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. You, okay, we got to get back to this. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. This is why we have our problem. It, they rejoice in wrongdoing. 
People who don't have love, they... I need to have the word love up here somewhere. Uh, does not rejoice in wrongdoing. You know, I know, I just need to... Love! <laughs> I'm teaching on love and don't even have a word up here. Okay. <clears throat> if we have love, then we will not rejoice in wrongdoing. But what we do is we literally make movies that cause us to rejoice in sexual immorality. Mm. You know? You see? Ugh. It's just so corrupt. You see You see what I'm saying? Alright, next part right here says, um, love bears all things. It believes all things. Check this out. It bears all things. Why does it bear all things? Because of this right here. It's patient. It's kind. Upholds the cause of the weak. It believes all things. Why? Another, another translation says it always trusts. Why does it always trust? Because it keeps no record of wrongs. I, if I love you, I will always trust you. Now that's backwards. Some people really, they don't even think about that. What do you mean? Now trust has got to be earned. That's not what the Bible says. Trust, love is not earned. You can't earn love. This love we're talking about can never be earned. So if love always trusts, now there's a difference between trust and promotion. Scripture's clear about this. To be promoted, you must be faithful with the little. But the initial little that was given to you was trust. Do you know that you're untrustworthy, but God still trusts you with the world? Here, David, I know you've messed up in your whole life, but I'm going to give you Jesus, and I'm charging you now to flip the world upside down. That's a lot of trust in somebody who was never faithful, yeah. right? God trusts me, a person who has no self-control. Yeah. See, that's trust. That's, that's real trust. And this is what we're called to do. So I had a guy sit with me one time in the car. And he had a record of being a thief. And um, I knew he, I, I let him come to my house and everything. I already knew he was a thief. He'd been caught, convicted, been to jail and everything. And I just looked at him and said, listen, man, I know you're not telling me something. Because um, I usually know things about people before they tell me about it. And if I ask you, half the time I already know the answer. And I'm just testing to see if you're going to lie to me. That's all. <laughs> and so I asked this guy. And, you know, I start talking to him, and he finally, he, you can tell he's breaking down. You know, he's like, wants to talk to me about some stuff and tell me about himself. And, and I just told him, I said, listen, trust can't be earned. You can't, you can't earn my trust. There's nothing you've done that caused me to want to trust you. I said, I love you, though. And so that causes me to want to trust you because I don't have anything against you. Even though I may know things about you, I don't hold those against you. Because if I love you like Christ, like love the, love the church, then I'm going to trust you. Now, that's, you know what I mean? Now, that's not the same thing as promotion. Jesus says this, he who has been faithful with little will be given more. Okay, so when I give you the initial trust, now what we're doing is I'm testing your faithfulness with that initial trust. You know, I, it's, does it make sense? Can I, can I put my faith in you? That's what faithfulness is about. Faithful means I can put faith in you. See, I can fill you up with my faith. Put all my faith in you. Faithful. You're faithful. You're going to follow through. See, if you don't follow through, then we start back at square one. I give you that little bit again. We'll try again. But we don't move on until you've been faithful with the little. Then I'll give you more. So there's a biblical concept of promotion versus trust. Okay? The initial trust that we give somebody can never be earned. Just like respect. You can never earn respect. If we're always waiting for somebody else to respect me before we respect them, ain't nobody ever going to respect nobody. Respect cannot be earned. 
has to be given. Just like trust. Has to be given. It's a gift. Remember when I got married to my wife and told her, I said, listen, the scripture is very clear. Husbands are, you know, are the head of the household. So a wife must submit to her husband. I said, I can't make you submit to me. That's not real submission. True submission is submitting when you don't want to submit. Mm-hmm. True submission. I said, so if I try to take it from you, that's not submission. That's me lording it over you. I'm not being a good husband there. Because if I loved you like Christ loved the church, I'm going to love you whether you give anything back to me or not. See? Even if you don't respect me. See? But then respect itself is unconditional just as like love is. I unconditionally love my wife and she unconditionally respects me. Whether I've earned her respect or not. Whether she's earned my love or not. You see? It's important. If you don't have that, marriages collapse. Mm-hmm. If you both have that, it's amazing. So, uh, does that make sense? Does that make sense? So, finally, I told my wife, I said, it's going to have to be a, a gift. Um, bless you. If you're going to, if, if we're going to make this work, I'm going to ask you to give this gift to me. This gift of respect and honor and submission. Because I can't take it from you. It's not right. See? Make sense? All right. Uh, where are we at? Love uh, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. It never gives up. Love never gives up. Love, love, true love, never gives up. This is hard. This is convicting, you know. And love never ends. So, one last thing, and we'll close out. <clears throat> the uh, first John, or it was James chapter four. I think I had it up here earlier. We're talking about the importance of walking in unity, and this is the reason. Okay, um, the reason why. Love is so important is because what the scripture says, and they will recognize that you are Christians by your love, and then they'll give glory to the Father. So it's actually through us walking in unity with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ that actually causes, in John chapter 17, it talks about how he's praying for the unity of the saints, that they become together so that the whole world may know that Jesus Christ was sent. So it's actually, Jesus says in John chapter 17 that our unity is key for evangelism. Okay? Unity is key for the salvation of the world. Okay? If we don't walk in unity, then it hinders the work of God. It hinders the kingdom of God's advancement. Okay? So check this out. Whenever we are trying to hear God, look at um, James chapter 4. This is how it works. This is why it hinders the move of God. Because I can say it hinders the word of God, but it doesn't make sense. Okay, well that, okay, so if we're not working together, it hinders the, I mean, you may be able to connect the dots, but I'm going to explain to you why it literally hinders the work of God. James chapter 4, this is why it's so important to get loved in. Uh, James chapter 4, where we at? James. This, this has to be the last scripture, so I'm just finish this last scripture. James chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. You do not know that friendship with the world is enmity towards God. I didn't know that was... That's cool. We talked about that a second ago. All right. So, the quarrels. The passions are at war within you. All right, so the passions are at war within you. This war right here is lack of peace in your heart. 
You want to know why peacemakers... Listen. Peacemakers do not run... We talked about this at the very beginning. Peacemakers do not run from conflict. Or try to avoid pain. A true peacemaker has courage, has guts, and they go into the conflict to resolve it. But if your passions are at war within you, then you lack peace. If... How do you fix this? Through love. If you learn to love one another, then your passions are not at war within you. It says here that you covet and cannot obtain, so you murder. You kill. You don't have to kill physically. You kill with your words, Scripture says. If you call somebody a fool, call somebody an idiot. If you get in a fight and you call names, you just committed murder in your heart. Okay, So you're murdering your family because of the passions that are at war within you. You lack peace. Look at this. Look at this. This is so cool. If your passions are at war within you, this is why Jesus says, here, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Why? Because in Jesus Christ is where we learn forgiveness. Jesus Christ is where we learn how much I've been forgiven. If I know how much I've been forgiven, I can give forgiveness. Those passions that are at war within me die when I realize how much I have been loved and how much I have been forgiven and how much I don't have to have my own way. You see? I don't insist on my own way. If I could learn love, everything we talked about a second ago, then the passions at war within me would cease. Because I'm no longer seeking myself, but I'm seeking Christ and I'm seeking other people. If I'm not at peace here, I cannot hear God. Look at this. If you are in turmoil on the inside, then you are not at peace and you can't get still. When it talks about being still and knowing that I am the Lord, being still when he says, hey, be still for the, the Egyptians you see before you today, you'll never see them again for the, the Lord will fight for you. But the first thing he said to them was be still. In other words, shut up. Stop talking. Stop complaining. Stop grumbling. Stop worrying about all the problems, all these things that are your inner torment moral on the inside of you. Stop it. Okay? All right? You get this? You cannot hear God if you're in inner turmoil. You cannot hear God. And the only way to get out of anything and to be victorious over anything is because of what he says to you. So you have to hear the voice of God. Which side do I put my nets on, Lord? I've been fishing all night long and I've never had success. And then he says, okay, put your nets on the right-hand side. So when we, when we still ourselves, when we, when we learn love and compassion and mercy... If, we're, if I'm fighting with you, I can't hear God. Does that make sense? If I'm fighting with my wife, this is why the scripture says that if a woman, a man and woman are not at peace, that's why their prayers are hindered. Why? Because they're at, it's not because God said, oh, your prayers are, you're, oh, you're fighting? Oh, I'm going to punish you now. I'm not going to answer your prayers. That's not why. The reason why they can't get their <coughs> prayers answered is because of this inner war that they can't get peace and they can't be still. They can't hear God. They don't even know what to pray. You see? Because when you pray, when you pray, you're just simply speaking the will of God in your life. You're just agreeing with Him. Does this make sense? So why is it so important to walk in unity? Because when we all walk in unity in love, and we're not seeking ourselves, but we're walking in forgiveness and mercy every time. Right, let me read this thing to you real quick, and then we'll. And then this will be the last thing. Basically, close out with this. I wrote this on Facebook the other day. Here's a good way. To tell you're in the wrong. Are you on the edge? If so, then your heart's not right. You might not be able to put your finger on exactly what you did wrong, but that's okay. The heart is all that matters. 
Fix the heart and everything else will fall into place. Nothing can steal away your peace unless we allow it. Why? Because Jesus purchased that peace for us. If you, you cannot control other people, but you can control yourself. The quarrels that are on the outside begin on the inside. We just read that scripture to you, James 4. If you cannot take your stand without bitterness and anger swelling up on the inside of you, then it's a dead giveaway. You're wrong. Not because you picked the losing side of the argument, but because you've lost the most important battle of protecting your heart. Protect your heart against selfishness and protect your relationships. They are much more important than anyone's point of view. We do this by focusing on Christ and how much God has forgiven us, being thankful for our even though he's forgiven us in our failures. We must learn from the unmerciful servant, which we're not going to read because we don't have time. We're trying to close out. Love does not insist on its own way, but keeps no record for wrongs. 1 Corinthians 13, we've been reading that. However, love always protects and rejoices in the truth. So we should always defend God's truth. This comes back to peacemaking. But not at the expense of losing peace and love in our hearts towards even our enemies in chapter, Luke chapter 6. Love our, love, once our heart has been corrupted by pride and self-seeking, basically just wanting to be right, then our argument is no longer valid. Like we've missed the whole point. It was a distraction. The whole argument was just a distraction from furthering the kingdom of God. You see? Then our argument is no longer valid. We, must, we lost the true fight. That over our hearts being full of love, compassion, and mercy. The whole reason Jesus died for us. Yet we can't leave it out because of our pride. When the fight on the inside before trying, well, you have to win the fight on the inside before trying to win the fight on the outside. Jesus talks about being uh, blessed uh, for being peacemakers, for you'll be called the sons of God in Matthew 5. We fight for truth, but not at the expense of losing love and mercy <clears throat> uh, for those who come against us. Jesus died for his enemies. He always spoke the truth, but he never became bitter. This is good. He always spoke the truth, but he never became bitter. Why? Because that's presentful. It wasn't about being right. It was uh, about taking a stand for truth no matter what the cost was. That's courage. That's being a peacemaker. But he didn't allow bitterness and unforgiveness to dictate his life's choices. He was zealous for the Lord and overturned tables in the temple. But he was a man trademarked by compassion. He stood up for the prideful. I mean, he stood up to the prideful and the self-righteous and defended the weak. It is our hearts that must be examined, not the validity of our argument. Jesus said, first take out the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to help your brother get the speck out of his eye. The log is our heart condition. Then when our hearts are right, we will see clearly to love our brother enough to help him with his speck. Yet, if our heart is not right, we make a mess of things just like someone with a stick in their eye will make a mess of things when trying to fix others. It's not saying we'll never have a disagreement. It's saying take care of the heart issue first so that you can have a peaceful dispute and actually bring peace. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Bold as a Lion Ministries podcast. If you like that teaching and you want more, go to our website at boldasalignministries.com. At the top of that page, you'll see a button that says Teaching and Discipleship. Click on that. We've got free MP3s. we got free PDFs. Download as much of it as you want. Also, if you like what we're doing here and you want to see more, you want to hear more, consider becoming a monthly sponsor. Right now, we're running a campaign called Project 500. Okay, And this is geared towards three different aspects of our ministry. The first one is the ministry planting and also the online media and outreach system. Uh, like what you're listening to right now, all of the funding that goes into that will go into 
uh, helping us with uh, media and also uh, helping us with planting new ministries. Okay, the next one is for uh, the Barracks Discipleship and Recovery House. We have a drug recovery house, so if um, that's a that's a thing that's in your heart, uh, consider donating to that. Our third thing is our international missions organization called Ixthus International. It's a Greek word. It means fish because the Lord called us to go out and be fishers of men. So we're focused on those three things right now, and right now we're trying to raise 500 sponsors at $20 or more a month. If you can't give that much, maybe you can just consider making a one-time donation every little bit helps go to the website find what it is that you're passionate about that can help us help you help the world thank you so much and god bless